Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. As part of my World Tour 2017, I recently drove to Globe, Arizona, a center of historic mining activity in the Old West, to look at Northern Sphere Mining Corp's Buckeye Mine. Northern Sphere trades on the Canadian Securities Exchange's NSM. Northern Sphere Mining Corp is dedicated to growth through the acquisition and development of mining assets with an emphasis on near-term production opportunities. John Carter is the CEO of the company. Mr. Carter has over 35 years of experience in the metals and mining industries, specializing in engineering, design, and manufacturing of mineral processing equipment for mining operations. He has been involved in the design and manufacturing of over 200 mineral processing plants globally in 40 countries. He is currently Senior VP and Director of Great Lakes Graphite, and he sits on the boards of Mag Copper and Shoreline Resource Management Incorporated. Mr. Carter is an advisor to DNI Metals and brings significant value because of his extensive knowledge of mill development and mines. Here's my interview with John just outside the entrance to the Buckeye Mine. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, if you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. Northern Sphere is a Canadian exchange listed company. It trades in Toronto. Our head office is in Toronto. We have got just over 28 million shares outstanding. We're here developing two properties, one in Arizona and one in northern Ontario known as the Old Scatting Mine. We're over here at the Buckeye Mine. Give us an overview of what we're going to do today. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to review some of the core. We're actually drilling. Well, we're almost finished our 14th hole. We've completed the first 13. We're trying to intercept the vein. We intercepted on every hole. We don't have the assay results back, but we do have all the holes completed except for the last one, and that'll be finished on Monday. And then what we're going to do is we're actually going to go underground into the old decline that was put in here in the late 80s by one of the gentlemen that is here with us today. I don't think we can get down as far as the vein because we got some water in it we haven't pumped out. We pump it out when we need to. And then we're going to basically have an overview of the entire property because we're not just the Buckeye mine. The Buckeye is 16 and a half acres of our total package, but it's patented so it allows us to have our trailers so that we can actually move forward and use this as, let's call it our landing pad, if you will, so that we have access to all the other properties, but we can have central location. We've got about 3,800 acres over here and you're next to a, a very large mine, Freeport Mine. That's correct. We're about 16 miles away as the crow flies, obviously from Freeport McMoran's Miami operation. It's been producing copper and a little gold and some silver for many, many years. We're in copper porphyry heaven. We have four big mines within about 20 miles of us here. And the infrastructure here is really, really good. You're about three miles off the road. That's correct. What's nice about it is we're three miles off a main road. No one out doing a lot of the upgrading, but we're moving forward as we can afford to make access to the property so much easier than a lot of properties go. We can drive to it. We're a half an hour from Globe and we're on the property. So if I come back here next year, which I probably will, what am I going to see that's different from today? Well, hopefully, depending on the ability to raise money, we're going to have drilled this and we'll have a much better understanding on the entire operation. We're hoping to do a little bit of artisan type mining so we can understand the metallurgy and start to move this thing forward to a production scenario. Strictly exploration company or do you plan on going into production? What's the plan, let's say two years out? Two years out, potentially, we'd like to be a producing company. That's what we're about. My background is production and engineering and mineral processing. And what we want to do is we want to move this toward a scenario where we're not totally dependent on the money we raise to move forward, but we can start generating 
some kind of a revenue stream that will enable us for our shareholders, reduce the dilution factor and give us something that we can really move forward on. All our guys are mining guys. And a lot of the ore is very close to surface, if not at surface. That's correct. That's how it was exposed initially. It came to surface and they followed the vein. Somewhat similar to what Homestake's done for 125 years. And that was very, very successful. And still is very successful. It's really everything under one roof. That's correct. And that's what we've tried to build our team. And I told you this many times over the last few days. Your team is as much, if not more important than your property. I'd rather have a great team and a good property than the other way around. Only because you're dealing with people that have the experience to be able to execute the plan. The guys here in Arizona are third generation miners. They've been in the mining business all over the states, all over the world for that matter. And then we have great exploration team and great drilling. Our drillers are fantastic. So what we've done is we've built a really, excuse the pun, rock solid team. The Murphy family and the Barbie family have really collected quite a few claims, quite a few projects around the Southwest. Oh yes, yes, very much so. In Arizona, Northern Arizona, Southern Arizona, over in New Mexico. Who are some of the people that have chipped in as far as financing is concerned? Well, we're very fortunate that we have a great board led by uh, Sheldon Inwintosh, who's been in the business for about 30, 35 years, ran a major investment company. We also have Eric Sprott, who everybody knows Sprott Asset Management, who is a significant shareholder, and many other people. Let's review the share structure again. Okay, there's 28 million shares outstanding. We know we're probably about 25 million of ours. Very tightly held. We've tried to keep the structure, I won't say simple, because there's nothing simple about a, a public company a share structure, but what we try to do is, is keep it close in so we know where people are to give us the opportunity to be able to build a company rather than just build a stock. And the jurisdiction here is one of the best jurisdictions in the world outside of, let's say, Quebec. Very much so. You're in mining heaven. Globe, Arizona, if it wasn't for the mines, there wouldn't be Globe, Arizona. The reason why it's called Globe is because historically they found out here a solid globe of silver and they brought it into town and that's where the name Globe came from. When you're taking a look at mining companies in the sector right now, resource companies involved in the gold and silver and copper space. There's many of them. Why should a potential investor consider coming on board with regard to Northern Sphere? That's a complicated question, Ellis, but it's also, I think, very simple. What I would do when I look at a company, when I got involved in this company, because I've been doing this for 39 years, what you look at is you look at the people, like I've always said, the management, then you look at the properties. So when you're looking jurisdictionally at things, where did they mine last? That's why you look here, as we stand here looking over, we can see Freeport McMoran's pit right there. It's kind of a, a situation where when you're doing that, you're always looking to where there was past historic mining. We're standing on top of the attic right now, where it goes in and it goes down 60 feet, where we're running, we're pulling samples out of there, 200 ounces of silver, 28 ounces of silver across the face. I mean, it's pretty significant. So when you look at that, historically in the United States of America and Canada, you went out and dug a hole in your backyard 25 feet deep, you called it a mine. Because anybody had a vein coming to surface with a little quartz in it, or a quartz vein, or a little bit of calcopyrite in it, and they did it, it was a mine. So you've got thousands of mines here. But on our property, we have a 700 foot shaft. Two miles away, we have a 250 foot shaft. We've got 74 adits. We've got the adit that we're standing on top of right now. That's not just going out and digging a hole in your backyard. That's production capability. And we have all that infrastructure here. Taking a look around, I see a mine. I've been speaking with John Carter, the CEO of Northern Sphere Mining Corp, trading as NSM on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. And be sure to download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or your TuneIn Radio app. Stay tuned. 
There's more to come in just a moment. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. And now, here's Bob Lang. I'm Bob Lang for the Ellis Martin Report. Join me for a conversation with Eric Fear, president of Silvercrest Metals, trading as SIL on the TSX Venture Exchange and as SVCMF in the U.S. Silvercrest Metals is a Vancouver-based precious metals exploration company that is focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, and targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals districts. Their cheese pass mine in Sonora State, Mexico, promises to be a potentially prolific play. Eric, welcome back to the program. And if you don't mind, give our audience an overview of the company. Well, great to be back on. Silvercrest Metals is a junior exploration company working in northern Mexico, specifically the state of Sonora. Uh, We are a spinoff of a uh, deal that was done in October 2015 between Silvercrest Mines, our predecessor, and Silvercrest Metals. I'm founder and co-founder of both companies. You have some strong management from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of success. We started Silvercrest Mines in 2003, and we grew that uh, into a successful company. We took advantage of a strategy with First Majestic Silver, and that resulted in the transaction in 2015. And we ended up owning about 25% of First Majestic in a share transaction. That all rotated around the Santa Elena mine, which is located about 150 kilometers northeast of Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico, which is the capital of Sonora, or about four hours drive from Tucson to the south, southeast. And that is, is a now considered a standard for at least the industry in Mexico. It's a stellar mine, and it is the cash machine now for First Majestic. So we got a great reputation around that. And the whole Silvercrest Metals story is about doing it again. More wealth for the industry and our shareholders. And you have some pretty significant additional drill results uh, worth talking at, and if I, I believe I pronounced this, Las Chispas. That's correct. And yep. it, that's that's also in Mexico. And as I understand, Silvercrest has intercepted 1.9 meters of silver, the equivalent of like 8,800 grams per ton. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's about... Uh in ounces, about 260 ounces per ton. So lots of value in that. Uh, The Los Chispas district uh, that we control is actually located 25 kilometers north of the Santa Elena mine that we discovered, we studied, we financed and put into production. So we got a lot of history in this area. We got a great reputation for the communities and working with ranchers and the yajitos. If you're working as a mining company in Mexico, you got to be able to work with the communities closely and having success. And we got a great reputation around that. Now, the most recent drill results are just another series of high-grade, some people are calling them bonanza grades. I just keep it general and say high-grade intercepts. And we are pretty much on the Las Chispas property. We are in areas that are getting more mature, so they're more advanced exploration. And we're moving into new areas. 
that we're drilling, there's we've counted so far 19 veins on the property. Wow. These are epithermal veins. They range anywhere from a half a meter to 10 meters wide. Wow. And we're, it's all about building a critical mass now. The critical mass to me is the same critical mass that started the Santa Elena mine just to the south, and that was around 30 million ounces silver equivalent. When I say silver equivalent in the news that we put out, that's using a ratio of 75 silver to, to one gold. And most are, are all of the intercepts that we've had and all of the, actually all the drill holes that we've had have mineralization in them. Some of it's low grade, some of it's bonanza grade, and it's just gold and silver. So from a value standpoint, about 40% value in gold and 60% value in silver is what we're seeing if you break it up into the components there for, for ratio. You have the place, you have the property, and you have the team in place. You've done the work around the community so that you have local buy-in. So it seems you have all the points set up properly. What else can we expect to see over the coming months? Again, working towards a critical mass, we got a lot of drill results still to come. A lot of those assays are still in the lab that we have not received. The property of the district is in two areas. One's called the Los Chispas area, the namesake, and the other is called the Bobby Canora area. And we're just finishing up the, the detailed work on the Los Chispas area. And we've just started in the last six months the Bobby Canora area. The Bobby Canora area historically was the largest production of gold and silver. Uh, the historic reports generally in their public domain, about 80 million ounces were, was produced from Bobby Canora. And about 30 to 35 million was produced out of Las Chispas. Very high grades. The average grades historically were about 15 grams gold and 1,700 grams silver. Average widths were anywhere from two to four meters wide. So what you should expect on the coming months is more drilling out of the Bobby Canora area. And this is the best bang for the buck that we have right now for the opportunity in building our critical mass or even going beyond the critical mass that we're, we're tagging as uh, 30 million ounces silver equivalent. When you look at the whole picture, it really seems they're very close. Let's take a moment and review this the share structure. Yeah, we currently have uh, issued an outstanding about 50 million shares. Uh, options and warrants are about another 10 million that are out. Some of them are in the money. Some of them are out of the money currently. Uh, we got a market cap, Canadian-wise, uh, jumping between 90 to 100 million. And uh, cash on the hand uh, on hand right now is about six million Canadian. So over the next several months, we have plenty of money in the bank to get to our critical mass number that we were looking at. And the management and the board do have skin in the game. We got eight to ten percent, and we have an institutional following that has somewhere between twenty to twenty-five percent right now. Well, the company's overall performed well for its shareholders. What is the potential? upside lie? Where where does it lie? And why should potential investors consider Silvercrest to add to their portfolio? Yeah, the potential is going to be based, I would say, solely right now on our drill success on the Bobby Canora vein and the Bobby Canora area. So as we step out, we've already put out two news releases showing, you know, very good results to date. And we're just stepping out. It's it's open in all directions right now. So everybody just needs to be watching the news releases over the next several months. 
and see if we achieve those milestones as this Bobby Canora mineralization along the vein continues to expand. You know, no promises there. You, you don't know where this is going to go, but we have a good feeling geologically and we have a good understanding now geologically of how the system is mineralized and we're just doing our detective work to follow it up with the truth machine, the drill. It seems you have the sociology covered, you have the geology covered, and those are statistically evident, and you also have the management in place. So it seems like all the points are, are being addressed. Yeah, well, one of the other additional points there, Bob, is that I like things simple, and part of that equation of success is close to infrastructure. So the Lost Chispas property, along with the Santa Elena mine, are six to seven kilometers off a paved highway. You're in a mining area. You have qualified mining people within the state of Sonora. Uh, when we were constructing the Santa Elena mine, we had no down days because we weren't getting supplies that we needed. Uh, there is services and supplies out of major centers all around us, including Tucson, Phoenix, Cananea, Hermosillo. These are all major mining centers that we can pull resources from, and it really helps to keep your costs under control. We built the Santa Elena mine on time and under budget, and a lot of the success around that is management is boots on the ground. So there wasn't a day that went by that an executive wasn't making a decision and a critical one to make sure the project was to come at least on time and on budget, and we did better than that. We hope to do that at Las Chispas. We, we need a lot more success to do that at Las Chispas, that, but that's our target, and it's again, it's all about doing it again. It seems you have the properties, the boots on the ground, operational success, logistics, and the team at the home office to represent a potential opportunity for current and future investors. Eric, thanks for joining me on the program today, and much success. I've been speaking with Eric Fear, the president of Silvercrest Metals, trading as SIL on the TSX Venture Exchange and as SVCMF in the U.S. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or your TuneIn radio app. For the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Bob Lang. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with the mercenary geologist, Mickey Fulp. Today, we're visiting at the Sprott Resource Investor Symposium in Vancouver. Mickey, welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks a lot, Ellis. Now, I was thinking of taking a trip over to Serbia this summer just to look at a borate project and visit mm -hmm. with a geologist I know over there. Mm -hmm. You've been there. I have not. What can I expect? And, you know, take us back a few decades to when it was really dicey over there. Uh, Dave Cole from uh, Eurasian was telling me that he was one of the crazies that went in there and tried to do business and succeeded. Well, and so Dave was probably a half a generation later than the first people I know that went over to Yugoslavia when it was still Yugoslavia before it started to break up at all. Two or three geologists are my age, and to put it in perspective, Dave Cole worked for me for a while at Newmont back when it, I think it was his first job, so I probably got 10, 10 or 12 years on Dave, but guys at my age were working in Yugoslavia, and 
when it was starting to have problems, you had to get permission to go from village to village as you're doing reconnaissance exploration. And as many places in that part of the world during that period of time, you checked in a hotel, you turned over your passport to local police until you were ready to leave, at which time you got permission from the government to travel to your next village and they gave you your passport back and did the same thing in the next village. So interesting part of the world, I would say. And you're talking about Serbia now, and of course Serbia came out obviously after the whole Civil War thing, damaged, but probably one of the most viable republics in the Balkans. World-class borate deposit that Rio Tinto is involved with, I think, still involved with, certainly discovered by Rio Tinto, and world-class porphyry copper deposits, of which the most famous and one of the best discoveries during the bear market was reservoir minerals, a very high-grade copper gold deposit that is now owned by Navsun and Freeport still under owns the underlying porphyry below that. Can you give us a story about your travels in that part of the world? Well yeah so I'll give you a story about Kosovo and that's Pristina and the newscasts coming out of Pristina are quite amazing I would say they've taken the old Bloomberg model of the hottest smart women in the world and taken that up a step if you will. But the thing I remember most about Pristina was coming in from the airport. You know, it takes a bit. I think I flew from Albuquerque to New York to Paris, one other city, before I got to Pristina. You come into town and there's this giant statue in the main drag there, and it's Bill Clinton. I think it must be 12 to 15 high foot metal statue of Bill Clinton, and he's got his arm up in the air, and it's waving back and forth. It actually moves? Oh yeah, it moves (laughs) 24-7. And they love Bill Clinton there because he's the guy that saved Kosovo from the Serbs. And Kosovo is a secular Muslim society made up of many Albanians, and those Albanians basically were dislocated, had to, were refugees. They went to Albania, and and then they came back after the Civil War ended. Fascinating. I had no idea. Now, are there any opportunities in mining in the Kosovo area? Well, so the company that I own there, and I'm actually a a founding or seed stock shareholder, I can't even remember, from about 2010 would be Avrupa Minerals. And they have made a discovery, a gold discovery in Kosovo that running the prospect generator model, an Aussie subsidiary of Tissen, the giant German mining conglomerate, now owns the majority of that. He's drilling that out, and historically, some of the world's largest lead-zinc deposits, Mississippi Valley-type lead-zinc deposits, operated by the communist regime and now a still government-controlled lead-zinc operation in Kosovo. So certainly potential in Kosovo. Is it hard to take away the communist model out of some of these Eastern European countries? I mean, they're in a capitalist system now, but still... uh... Generally, they don't savvy capitalism, I would say. So the bureaucracies are still in place. For instance, I visited a historic lead-zinc operation there at one time, one of the important ones in the world called Trepchka and it was quite amazing a bunch of miners that were getting 
pretty long in the tooth, if you will, but they were still employed even though the mine was not producing, the mill was shut down. Still employed and basically they screwed off all day, sat around and smoked cigarettes until the bosses came around or the tour group came around and then they would all stand up and try to look busy like they were actually doing something. So I think it's very difficult for people that still live in those environments to, they don't have an understanding of capitalism and productivity that we employ in the West. Doesn't that make it risky for an investor, a Western investor? I think anywhere in the world outside of perhaps North America carries some semblance of geopolitical risk. I'll be doing some interviews over the next couple of weeks about geopolitical risk in various countries, and I've got a whole list of countries where resource nationalism, risk, regime change, policy changes, mining law code changes have hit over, say, the last year or so. We haven't heard too much in the former communist republics or oxymoron a communist republic but i noticed you let that fly so i'll correct myself there i tend to stay away from the stands i tend to stay away from countries that were for the most part in the soviet sphere i think kosovo is the only one i've owned some stock in a company in armenia before lydian but they've got stung a couple of times by the armenian government so I guess I would say it's not restricted to former communist countries. It's a kind of second and third world phenomenon, in my opinion. We're both sitting here at the Sprout Conference, and what are you looking forward to for the rest of your stay here? I'm looking forward to spending some time the weekend in Vancouver. The weather here is marvelous. We've got the Capitalism Morality Symposium on Saturday. I speak at that, looking forward to that. Giants, uh, and I say this tongue-in-cheek with some love, he's a borderline anarchist, isn't he? This will be populated by speakers who embrace the title of anarcho-capitalist, which I refuse to call myself one of those. I'm a libertarian. Anarcho-capitalist, I don't think, is a very complimentary term. And I'm probably not as far to that spectrum as most of the speakers. But interesting group of people who think outside the box and speak about things freely and and perhaps aren't always politically correct in their views. Well, I know that, uh, well stated, by the way, very, very well stated. I know that uh, Giant's not a, a fan of any form of socialism at all, but he certainly doesn't think capitalism works. Well, it, it's kind of like capitalism doesn't always work very well, but what else do we have? I mean, where do you go? <laughs> there are no real alternatives because every other form of economic, what's the word I want, ideology, basically involves some sort of collectivism. And human beings are individuals and driven by their own deeds and their own success and success and well-being of people that they love and cherish. So perhaps we should separate capitalism from government enterprise or lack of enterprise and leave it as an organic structure. Well, so there comes the anarcho part of it. And so the people that argue on that side of things are often very persuasive. Uh, They're very logically thinking individuals. Uh, As I say, I'm probably not as far to that end of 
what I would consider a very far-right spectrum as some of the other people would speak. I'm a pacifist, but a libertarian, very much embracing on aggression policy, the NAP, if you will. And my motto is, do not tread on me, and I will not tread on you. And I'm going to give a talk called The Unwinnable and Never-Ending Wars of the United States of America. Well, Mickey, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the program here in Vancouver once again. Thanks a lot, Alice. My pleasure. I've been visiting with Mickey Fulton, the mercenary geologist at the Sprout Resource Investor Symposium in Vancouver. You can find Mickey Fulp on his website, mercenarygeologist.com. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartreport.com.